Hello and welcome to episode two of Man vs. Reality. Um, especially welcome back if you managed to get through the first one. And yeah, it was a little bit all over the place, a little bit repetitive, a little bit drawn out. But I think I managed to get the point across. More just an introduction on what I want to do, what I want to accomplish, um, and how I'm going to do it. There was some, some interesting stuff, but I think it was hidden uh, among a lot of babbling. <laughs> so uh yeah so if you've come back again thanks very much or if this is the first one that you're watching uh absolutely amazing or listening to indeed because it's a podcast and a video um show um if you didn't watch the first one i just want to know what we're about basically it's me sat here for an hour talking about a subject and you're going through the research research that i do because i'm not in any way qualified um on the internet so you can follow along at home and uh see what we'll come up with this second episode, uh, very topical at the minute because um, I don't think you can escape the uh, notice that the Queen of the UK has passed away um, this past week. No matter what your views on it, it's very sad. Apparently she was a nice lady. She was 96 years old, I believe, at the time of her passing. Um, but you also can't escape the fact that it is very controversial at the minute. There are... Um, a lot of people very sad, very upset. They wonder what's going to happen next to the country, which immediately made me think, well, nothing, because they don't have the power to do or change anything. And then I thought, well, do they? I don't know. So I thought it'd be an amazing topic to uh, cover on the show, to have a look, because the gaps in my knowledge are massive. I imagine the gaps in yours will be just as big. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we'll find out together. A lot of people are mad at the royal family, calling them uh, colonialists, saying that they're responsible for genocides and a bunch of other um, different things. I thought we could have a look, see if that's true. And basically to see, is there any point in having them there? What do they do? What do they stand for? What can they do? What can't they do? And all this kind of thing. I mean, we know for a fact that they're born into it. They don't really have much choice. And when they do exercise that choice, like Prince Harry has done with his new wife, Meghan Merkel, they're just going to get vilified by everybody who likes royals. And then, again, that split the camp completely in two, didn't it? Because you've got half of them thinking that he was brilliant for actually getting away and running away from what he was doing. And then you've got um, the other half, the royalist side of things, who... Uh, basically vilified him, saying that she has split up the family and <laughs> that he's just a bad guy and has no control. Um, yeah, so let's have a look at all that. Let's have a start. Um, again, the format is this. If you're watching on the video side of things on the YouTube channel, you'll be able to see I'm doing a video of my screen with a nice little uh, Google box there because we're basically going to Google everything. On the last show, we saw how to check our sources and to try and find out how reliable the website is that we're going to be reading from, from the best of our ability. So we're going to be doing a bit of that uh, while we look at all these facts that are uh, that are coming up regarding the Royals. Hopeful facts, anyway. We shall see. Um, like I said, it was a little bit meandering and a little bit all over the place that uh, last episode. So I have a screen up here with some other little tidbits on that i wanted to do so i established that the thing that i wanted to um use in the shows uh to to make sure we were completely um what's the word impartial completely impartial and that everything went kind of as above and uh, above board and as transparent as possible was to follow the steps of the scientific method so we looked it up on a, a couple of websites and we got these basic tenets of the scientific method 
So that's what we're going to be following in, in a basic kind of loose sense. You guys are going to be the last one. So showing and communicating results to others, as it says there, that's going to be you guys, which is why I'm recording this whole thing either um, on a video or on a podcast. So if you're on the podcast, I'm going to be saying all the websites that I'm on. If you're on the video, you can see exactly what I'm doing, where I'm clicking and where I'm going. Um, and then underneath this, I've just typed out a few things that I thought would be good to look at. I'm going to give myself about an hour for each one of these podcasts, so this should fill the time. Uh, fill the time, okay? So start off with the basics. What is the UK monarchy? Um, who's next in line to to the throne? As we know now, um, it's Prince Charles the Third, or sorry, King Charles the Third, as he is uh, going to be known now after his mother has just died. But uh, who's after that? It's it's really really odd, especially the fact that we've just had a queen as well, because it tends to go down the male line of succession, doesn't it? So obviously there was no male above Elizabeth to take on the king role, so it went to her, and she's just been the queen. But Charles has two sons, William and Harry, but I think what happens is that the oldest son takes over, and then it goes down his line. So it'll go down to uh, William, who's the oldest son, but then it'll go down to his sons rather than going to his brother Harry, who you would think, weird as hell. Anyway, we'll have a look at that, see who's next in line. What power do they actually have? So there's been like a big separation for years and years. Um, the thing called the Magna Carta, which was drafted up to give power to the people of the uh, UK rather than just have it one family who was born into power that controls everything. Um, it's elected MP, uh, MPs, members of parliament. They're officials that are supposed to represent us. Um, so, yeah, the powers with the people and not with the monarchy. So then, what's the point in them? Hopefully we're going to find out. How much does it cost? Royal family are funded by taxpayers. But, like, there's been stories this week of uh, William and Kate making something like £1.2 billion in one single day. Where's that money come from? We've not just given it to them, I don't think. So, like, what other income streams do they have? So we'll have a look, have a look, especially into that story, because that really, really interested me when that's come up. So, yeah, we'll have a look at that. Um, and then, were they involved in colonialism? So this is one thing that's been banded about quite a lot. Why we should get rid of the monarchy is because the colonialists, because they took over and uh, they took went to other countries, took over and imposed their rule on other countries. Did they actually do that? Did they have the power to actually do that? Or was it the UK government that did that? Um, are there other things that we should be mad at them about? Um, yeah, so we'll see. So then we'll draw a, a conclusion to all this kind of thing and see what we can come up with. Whether And then, well, I'm not going to say what I think. I'm going to try not to say what I think. It's probably going to come across um, whether it's... It, they actually do anything whether it's worth actually having them or is it are we just keep them around for tradition or anything along those lines so let us crack on with the first search about what the actual monarchy are so what is the uk monarchy here we go come up with that top one so click on there so the first one it's come up with on on our Google search is um, here's an article from Wikipedia. And Wikipedia is quite good because it comes up with it. It does cite all of its sources, but anybody can uh, can comment on that. Basically, it's come up with the first few lines. 
Uh, as the monarchy is constitutional, the monarch is limited to functions such as bestowing honours and appointing the prime minister, which are performed in a non-partisan manner. So they're not allowed to say whether they support any political party. They just say, congratulations, you're prime minister now. The monarch is also able to advise, generally done in secret, to change draft laws. That's quite interesting. So the way the UK works when it's making laws is um, it'll be debated in the House of Commons and then once it's passed in whatever form in the House of Commons, generally voted on by uh, a majority of uh, whoever's in charge, it's then passed up to the House of Lords who then again debate it and they pass it or fail it. So it looks like here that the monarch can advise on laws that have been... Um, that have been drafted, but obviously we can't find out about it, and I don't think they have the power to actually just shoot laws down. Um, the monarch is also head of the British Armed Forces, which is quite interesting. So does that mean that they can declare war, or does that mean it has to be a different thing? Right, okay, so let's click on this top one here. This looks... I mean, it'll be biased definitely towards the uh, monarchy, I imagine, because it is royal.uk that we're on here, and it's saying the role of the monarchy, and a big picture of the Queen. The monarchy, a king of queen, is head of state. The British monarchy is known as a constitutional monarchy. This means that while they're the sovereign head of state, the ability to make and pass legislation resides with an elected parliament. So they can't make and pass laws. As we've just seen from that Wikipedia article, they can give advice, but that advice obviously doesn't need to be listened to, which is what the, they just said there. Um, although the sovereign no longer has political or an executive role, he or she continues to play an important part in the life of the nation. Yeah, okay, so... Does it, though? <laughs> um as head of state, the monarch undertakes constitutional and representational duties, which have developed over 1,000 years of history. Uh, in addition to their state duties, the monarch has a less formal role as head of nation. The sovereign acts as a focus for national identity. Oh my god, this is just dry as fuck. Let's just... Why can't you just say what it does? So in support members of her immediate family. So it's got a picture there of the have uh still on Queen Elizabeth, obviously. It's not got up to the current one. Features the Queen and Government. Okay, so it's sent that's it, that's basically all it says. It doesn't tell us the actual roles. Um Yeah. Very odd. So this is the official royal website and it's literally just said that they they don't really do anything. Um, so this is a related article from the same website, the Queen and the Government. Uh, again, another nice short one. The Queen's role in government. As head of state, the monarch has to remain strictly neutral with respect to political matters. So she can't lean one way or the other, say who she supports. Um, there's a bunch of links down the side here, which also look really, really dry. All right, so we'll uh, have a look again in a minute. So carry on with this article for a minute. Uh, by convention, the monarch does not vote or stand for an election. However, they do have an important ceremonial and formal roles. The formal phrase crown in parliament is used to describe British legislature, which consists of the sovereign, House of Lords and House of Commons. 
it's still not any clearer. Queen also has a special relationship with the Prime Minister, the King now, retaining the right to appoint also meetings with him or her on a regular basis. So it sounds like they have some input. They can literally chat to whoever their Prime Minister is, but they can't really do anything else. It looks like. Right, so let's go back to the start and see what the crack is here. UCL, Parliament and the Crown. Do, 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 do. BBC. And what does the King do? Right, okay, so here's a BBC article called UK Royal Family. Who is in it? And what does the King do? What does the King do? Here we go. The King is the UK Head of State. Yep, been there. However, his powers are symbolic and ceremonial. And he remains politically neutral. So, they can't really do anything, can they? Um, he will receive daily dispatches from the government in a, in a red letter box, such as briefings ahead of important meetings and documents needing his signature. But what's the point in having his signature if he can't do anything? The Prime Minister will normally meet the King on Wednesdays at Buckingham Palace to keep him informed of government matters. These meetings are completely private. Uh, there is no official record of what's said. The King also has a number of parliamentary functions. Here we go. Appointing a government. The leader of a party who wins a general election is usually called to Buckingham Palace where they are formally invited to form a government. The King also formally dissolves a government before a general election. They don't have any power to say no, do they? If some complete tosspot gets elected who is like, right, we're going to murder every single person in the UK uh, on the five years that we're there, he can't turn around and say no. So he doesn't have any power to do that. Uh, state openings in the King's speech. Royal assent. When a piece of legislation is passed through Parliament, it must be formally approved by the King in order to become law. The last time royal assent was refused was in 1708. Right, so that's going to be interesting to have a look at. So they can refuse to pass a law into legislation. So then what happens? Right, so let's open another little box here and have a quick sidebar on what happens there. What happens when royal assent is refused is not given there we go what happens if royal assent is not given so again from wikipedia uh if consent is required but not signified the bill may make no further progress through parliament if a bill is mistakenly allowed to progress even though the required consent was not signified and the error is discovered before royal assent has been given the proceeds may later be declared void quora.com okay so royal assent um royal assent and great seal of scotland what is royal assent could government advise the queen royal assent act of 1967 blah 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 blah, blah. Uh, can a bill become law without royal assent? So again, this is 
from Wikipedia. All right, there you go, you see? Can a bill become law without royal assent? It is not actually necessary for the government general to sign a bill passed by the legislature. Oh, my God. The signature being merely... Right, so that doesn't answer any of our questions. Uh, when was the last time the Queen did not give assent? It didn't really do anything. Um, what would happen step by step? Here we go. So this is Quora.com, which is basically... I think it's where people ask questions and people jump in and answer them to the best of their knowledge. Companies supplying the government or undertake government contracts. This is boring. What would happen step by step if the Queen or Queen of the UK did not assent to a bill passed by Parliament against the advice of ministers? It doesn't seem to... Who's the scent? Needless to say, the government was curious. So basically, glancing over this article that's come uh, on the Kiwara website, a guy called Brendan Harding, who is a retired Canadian diplomat to the UK, uh, to the US, sorry. Uh, he's got a BA in journalism, so it tells us everything there. So I think this is to do with the Canadian um, Parliament rather than ours. So it basically says that if they refuse to give parliamentary their consent to Parliament against ministers' advice, ministers will put pressure on them until they did. <laughs> so basically nothing. God, it's so hard just to find a straight answer, isn't it? What a friggin' nightmare. That's kind of why I set up this podcast, but still, you know. Here we go. Um, can the Queen overrule the Prime Minister? So again, this is from Wikipedia. Can the Queen... The monarch remains constitutionally empowered to exercise the royal prerogative against the advice of the Prime Minister or the Cabinet but in practice would likely only do so in emergencies or where existing precedent does not adequately, adequately apply to the circumstances in question. So again, that doesn't really, doesn't really answer the question, but I think that's probably the best that we're going to get. So basically what happens is they take a bill to the king or the queen who have to sign off on it, and if they refuse to do that, then Parliament will put pressure on the king or the queen refusing to give them money and freezing their assets and whatnot until uh, until they do decide to bring the bill into law. So again, they don't really seem to have much power. So back to this BBC article about the roles of uh, of the royals. Um, so that was Royal Ascent. Uh, Host visiting dignitaries, we are, we know that. The king is head of the Commonwealth. But what does that even mean? So they don't seem to have that much power. Here we go. So at least we can answer the next question on this. Uh, on this, oh crap. Just sent us back a page. That's not what we wanted. There we go. So back to this <laughs> BBC. My spammy fingers. Back to the BBC website that was what was the role what does the king actually do? So 
it doesn't seem like they really, really do anything. They're basically just a figurehead for the country. They can give out knighthoods. Um, they say, yes, you may form a government, even though they don't seemingly have the power to say, no, you can't form a government. Um, because seemingly the precedent there is, if they do that, then the parliament will turn against the monarchy and try and freeze their assets to force them into the making the decision that they want. Um, so the next question that I had up on my nice little Word document, I'm going to go back and see if I can find out some more about what's actually going on um, and what actual powers that they have uh, to, to do things, because I don't think we're finished with that yet, because we haven't actually found any. I mean, we found that the answer might be no, and it's looking like the answer might be no. They don't have any actual power. I'd like to look into a bit more the head of the armed forces as well to see what role that they can have there, whether they actually um, declare war or not. So um, next question, like I said, was um, who is in line to the throne? So I did a bit of a babble about this before. So if you can see online on this BBC website, they've given us a handy picture of the um, UK royal family and line of descendants. So basically the line of succession goes from Queen Elizabeth down to King Charles III, which is who we've got now. And then we'll pass down to William. And then in line under William is Prince George, uh, who is William's eldest son. Now, after that, I'm assuming it would be Prince Louis, who is William's youngest son, and then it would be Princess Charlotte. Or, in that case, would it pass on to Harry? So Harry is like nowhere near in the running. He's at least third or fourth, I believe. I don't know whether Harry has um, precedent over Princess Charlotte. So let's Google that. Would Harry be king before Charlotte? is queen. The royal line of succession, who's next? Um, okay, okay, so this is the week.co.uk. Yes, agree to all the cookies. And this is uh, an article called which was from the 5th of January 2020. Uh, could Harry and Meghan Markle become King and Queen of Canada? That's not what we want at all. But then again, King and Queen of Canada, um, I'm pretty sure that's the same. Let's see what the crack is. Why does Princess Charlotte... So this is uh, Kiwara again, which is, like I say, articles. And this question is... Why does Princess Charlotte in line before Prince Harry? So it does look like... It says, because Parliament revised the act governing the succession so that the first-born child of Prince William would be next in line to the throne regardless of the child's sex and could not be surpassed by later-born children regardless of sex. Ah, okay, so it looks like Charlotte will be next in line after uh, William's oldest son. 
So yeah. It looks like it'd go down to William and then it looks like it'd go down to all three. Um, all three of his family before it went back up and onto Harry. But you know, let's just check and do another quick Google search for uh, Harry's sake. So where is Harry in line to the throne? Fifth. <laughs> He's fifth in line. Is that new though? Okay, so yeah, so this is the 11th of the 9th. What are we on? Washington Post. Oh my god, here we go again. All the cookies in the world. See where it's just said that. Harry is fifth in line to the throne despite a controversial decision to step back from royal duties and move to the United States with Meghan Merkel. Yeah, so we know all that. Following the Queen's death and the ascension, and the ascension of Charles to monarch, the two Sussex's children are entitled to the titles of Prince and Princess. So that's William's two youngest. The right stems from protocols dating back to George V in 1917. Blah, 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 blah. Sovereigns are granted those titles automatically. Yeah, so he's fifth in line. So basically it's William, William's three kids, uh, and then uh, Harry, if it comes into that. So there we go, there's the line of succession. Um, I don't think we really, we might see William in our lifetime, depending on um, King Charles, because King Charles at the moment is how old Charles the third King Charles is 73 in a minute so and William is already 40 so yeah there's a very good chance that we'll still see William's uh, rule in my lifetime I don't think we'll um, see getting on to any of his children even though me and William are pretty much the same age but you know he's definitely got better health care than I have and he's going to outlive me without even trying I do feel I imagine it's living in a castle that does that for you I wouldn't mind giving it a go but there you go right so where are we up to so we can't really find much about what power they have they seemingly are just um, figureheads And, yeah, they, they, they don't really have much in the way of power. So let's Google that anyway, because we're still not off what the monarchy is in the UK. So they're basically heads of state that don't really have any power. Um, yeah, so uh, what power does the UK, does the monarchy have? Constitutional monarchy bestowed. So basically, it looks like their only power. This is from Wikipedia again at the top of the, uh, the Google search for what power does the monarchy have, and it said basically limited functions such as bestowing honors on the appointed prime minister, which is the same thing that came up as before. What powers does King Charles the Third have? 
UCL AC. Right, so this is, um, I don't, ah, oh, no. Okay, so, explainer. What is the role of the monarchy? So this is ucl.ac.uk. What role, <laughs> what is the role of the monarchy? The monarchy is the head of state, but does not rule. The queen is constitutionally obliged to follow the government's advice. So basically, the government tells the queen what to do. The Queen appoints the PM and other ministers, opens new Parliament sessions and undertakes state visits. The Queen also acts as head of the nation. Yeah, so that's just confusing the issue again. In this role, she is the focus of national identity and represents stability and continuity. Uh, right, so she's apparently something for us all to aspire to okay right here we go so here's a bit about the commonwealth the queen is also head of state for 14 other countries around the world known as the realms so this is the uk the united kingdom and the commonwealth these include australia canada jamaica and new zealand head of state of the commonwealth oh no so that's different Right, so, okay, so, this is Commonwealth and the Realms. Again, a nice example of me not being able to read, which is all good. So, the Realms are 14 other countries of which the Queen is Head of State, which include Australia, Canada, Jamaica and New Zealand, but the Queen is also Head of the Commonwealth, a voluntarily association of 54 states, mainly formerly British colonies and dependencies. So basically, the people that we colonised, which takes us nicely to that very end question. <laughs> um, of, uh, of are, they, are they colonialists? So, I mean, that kind of answers whether they're colonialists anymore or not, doesn't it? Um, it's a, uh, a voluntary association, the Commonwealth. So they don't have to be in it if they don't want to. They just want the Queen to be head of their ship. Um, the realms, on the other hand, that might be a different uh, state of affairs. Because it doesn't say that that's voluntary, does it? So that'll be something that's uh, interesting to look at. So let's go back uh, to our original search. Um, what power does the monarchy have? So this is HuffWorks.com. Quite interesting. So let's have a look at this. Wrote, written by a guy called Dave Ruse. Freelance journalist of HuffWorks since 2007. Put on every topic under the sun, history, culture, politics, economics. From Pittsburgh, Duke University. He has a BA in religious studies. Okay, so at least it tells us who he is. He's not just an, an anonymous uh, face. Um, it was updated on September 8th in 2022. So this is what power did she actually have. Died on September the 8th at her home in Balmoral, at Balmoral at the age of 96. And ruled longer than any other monarch. 
She just celebrated 70 years on the throne. Jesus Christ, that's amazing. Some people are wondering if she ever held real power and if the UK's constitutional monarchy. Constitution. The Queen's reserves powers. Technically, the Queen retained certain political powers known as her personal prerogative or the Queen's reserve powers. Among those reserve powers were the power to appoint a Prime Minister. Yeah, but we know that. If they don't get to choose the Prime Minister, we do. And she just says you're allowed to be Prime Minister. As she just did the other day that we all know about, Liz Truss. Um, to open sessions of Parliament and to approve legislation. So like we were saying before, she doesn't really do it. But those powers said Philip Murphy. Who in the hell is Philip Murphy? Doesn't really say who Philip Murphy is, so why in the hell are we taking those, uh, this guy's word for anything? Hmm? Oh, see, again, look, dumbass, says it right here. Have been heavily restricted, but those powers, said Philip Murphy, have been heavily restricted by constitutional conventions. Murphy is director of the Institute of Commonwealth Studies at University College London and the author of The Empire, the Empire's New Clothes, The Myth of the Commonwealth. We spoke to him in 2020. The Queen has power, but the question is how much... Uh, how much discretion does she have within those powers? Co-author of the report. Monarchy. So it doesn't look like she has any personal discretion when it comes to the actual powers that she does have. So she can't choose. There you go. So it says it here. So uh, according to Robert Hazel, co-author of a report on the changing role of the monarchy, the Queen was effectively stripped of all of her personal discretion uh, when it came to her reserve powers. She had no real choice about who became Prime Minister, for example, or which bills became law. The voters and elected officials made those decisions, and her only real job was to give the royal stamp of approval. Right. So she doesn't have any actual power to change anything. Lack of true political power. Doesn't mean the Queen wasn't power. Oh, okay, so the lack of her political power doesn't mean that Queen Elizabeth wasn't power. Powerful. The monarch has three essential rights. To be consulted, to encourage, and to warn. Okay, so she can basically give advice. That's it. So, as head of state, she needs to be kept updated. Um, she can encourage people and she can warn them not to do things. So, she basically has the power of influence, but no real power to exercise that influence. So, if she tells them to do one thing and they tell them to jam it up their ass, or he, in this case, keeps... This article is... Uh, when was this written? So it was updated on the 22nd with the things about the Queen's death, but they're still talking about um, the actual Queen in relation to her power, which is obviously the same power that um, Charles is going to have when he comes to the throne. So basically, they can tell her to jam it up her ass. Thanks for the advice, but how about a big fat no? Appointing the Prime Minister, it goes into a bit of detail about that. Opening and closing Parliament. Again, if she didn't, open or close Parliament, then I don't think anything would really happen. 
Parliament in two ways. They can be sessions of Parliament can be ended in two ways. They can be dissolved, which only happens before a general election, or they can be prorogued. Proroguing. We've had a lot of experience with that in the past few years in the UK. Not fun. Um, which means the Parliament goes into recess for a set amount of time and can't pass any more bills. The Queen no longer has any power to dissolve Parliament. <sighs> this was repealed in 2011 with a fixed-term parliamentary act. Automatically dissolves Parliament every five years. So that basically means anybody who's voted into office as Prime Minister or is the ruling party, they have to have a general, ele general election every five years. Um, or earlier, if two-thirds of... So then Parliament can choose to change that, but they need a two-thirds vote. Prorogue formally in the Parliament. Okay. Other ceremonial powers. Here we go. As part of the British constitutional monarchy, the Queen is obliged to give royal assent to any bills that are passed. So she's obliged to do that anyway. Her, uh, her approval is purely a formality, since the last time royal assent was refused was in 1707. So if we open that in a new tab, we can see why it was removed. When a bill has been completed, so this has taken us to a BBC uh, news article again. Um, here we go. So royal assent has not been refused since 1707 when Queen Anne refused it for a bill for settling the militia in Scotland. Usually, public bills which have not been passed by the end of the parliamentary session are lost. Following a recommendation... Oh, okay, so it doesn't tell us what actually happened after she refused to do that. So, let's copy that and paste that chisel into uh, a Google search. Refused the bill. So let's Google that, see if it tells us what happened. Scottish Militia Bill. So this is Wikipedia. Um, I'm trying to avoid Wikipedia because anybody can change it at any point. But like I say, I do quite like that website. Okay, so let's have a look at this. Uh, European Royal History. Uh, it's a WordPress website. Seventeen fourteen, Queen of England. March eighth, seventeen oh two, and May the first, seventeen oh seven. For Union Axe, Scotland. So it was the Scottish Militia Bill that she refused to uh, act upon, known formally as the Scottish Militia Bill was a bill uh, that was passed by the House of Commons and House of Lords in early 1708. However, on March the 11th, Queen Anne withheld her royal assent on the advice of her ministers for fear that uh, the proposed militia would be disloyal. Mm. Don't care about content of the bill, just really want to see what happened afterwards. In the British colonies, the, the denial of royal assent had continued past 1708. It was one of the primary complaints of the United States' declaration of independence. 
Ah, okay, right, so that's just America. So basically that was the Americans saying... Right, okay, so... Yeah, basically we're no real further forward on that, but um, yeah, so there we go. So I'll move on to the next one, because she's basically can't refuse to do something that was put forward by the elected officials of the country. Um, the sovereign head of state, the Queen, uh, was also head of the armed forces, which gave her the power to declare war and sign treaties. But, like her other reserve powers, she exclusively acted under the advice of government ministers, including the Prime Minister. Uh, she also gave out knighthoods uh, and awards for exceptional achievement. The service took place twice a year in the New Year's honours under the da -da 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 -da. guarantee good weather. But again, the honours were not hers to decide. Committees of experts, along with government representatives, uh, presented her with a final list of people to be honoured by the Prime Minister. So again, nothing. So she, the monarchy are basically a figurehead, it looks like. Yeah, that's it. So head of the armed forces. I wanted to have a quick look at what that meant. The Queen and the armed forces. So this has taken us to a link again on royal.uk, which is the official uh, website of the, the royal family. The Queen and Armed Forces Board. As Sovereign, the Queen is Head of the Armed Forces and is also the wife, mother and grandmother of individuals who have served. Yeah, yeah, we know that. The Queen's relationship with the Armed Forces began when Princess Elizabeth joined the Auxiliary Territorial Services in 1945, becoming the first female member of the Royal Family. Yeah, we don't care. Um, since then, the Queen has maintained a close relationship with the Armed Forces. Yes, we knew... As is the tradition on a monarch's birthday, no, but what can she actually do? What a very myriad institutes. So then, again, that doesn't tell us what powers that she has. So I think the only answer that we're going to get to that is in this article, again, from um, historyofhowstuffworks.com. which is the article we've been looking at by uh, Dave Roos, which basically says that um, she does have the power to declare war as a head of the armed forces and to sign treaties with different sovereign nations. But, um, see again, that just says um, she exclusively acted under the advice of government ministers, including the prime minister. So she didn't actually declare war. She said, okay, when they said that they wanted to declare war. So that's the only real power it looks like she has. It looks like she might be able to just go, fuck this country in particular, let's go to war with them. But then, again, with any other of her powers, it looks like Parliament would just say, well, we're not giving you any more money if you do that, and put the squeezes on her. 
So basically, it doesn't look like they have any real power. They're just national figureheads. And uh, something for us to look up to. And it looks like they're being used as if, as long as the monarchy are there, Britain is going to be okay. Um, doesn't feel like that's the case. Uh, but yeah, whatever. So what we saw before was the Commonwealth. And so we'll go back to that actually in a minute. So I want to have a look at the Commonwealth and the realms um, in the colonialism question, which I'm going to say to last in a bit of a minute. So we'll do now, uh, how much does the royal family cost? The royal... Here we go. How much does the royal family cost in the UK? The royal family cost UK taxpayers over $120 million last year. So this is obviously a US website, marieclaire.com. So here we go. So uh, bloomberg.com. This will hopefully break it down for us uh, quite well. That stupid advert to load up and bog off. There we go. Here we go. So how much does the royal family cost? A breakdown of the key figures. Exactly what we want. The Press Association. It looks like they're the people who wrote the article. It looks like the Press Association. Here are some key figures from the royal accounts from 2020 and 2021. 86.3 million. The total taxpayer funded sovereign grant. Sovereign grant. So is that how much they get just for being the sovereign? Okay, so um, made up of 51.8 million for the core funding and an extra 34.5 million for looking after Buckingham Palace, basically. 102.4 million pounds official expenditure by the monarchy. A rise of 14. A rise of 14.9 million or 17% from the 87.5 million in 2020 to 2021. So that's £1.29 per person in the UK uh, for funding the total of the sovereign grant. That doesn't seem like much. But when you add it all together, it adds up to 86.3 million. <laughs> but yeah, it depends on how much you like the royal family, whether you're all right. Uh, 77 pence. Cost per person of the core part of the sovereign grant for official duties, not including funds for long-term Buckingham Palace works. So it costs 77p for the normal, for what the royal family actually goes out and does in society. So I'm assuming that's like travel, where they're staying, uh, food, lodgings, and everything else that, uh, like the security, obviously, everything else that the thingy does. Um, and then the rest to add up to the £1.29 per person um, per year is going to be for the restoration of Buckingham Palace. 9.6 proportion of staff from ethnic minority backgrounds working at Buckingham Palace compared to 8.5% in 2020-2021. Now that sounds pretty bad, alright? 9.6% of staff are from ethnic minority backgrounds. Proportion of staff from working in Clarence House. So they've got here different percentages 
of uh, ethnic minority stuff. So if we Google what percentage of the UK is made up of ethnic minorities, there we go. So that's 14.4% of the UK's population. Um, so that's from Wikipedia. So let's, uh, here we go. So what's this? Diversity.org. So this tends to mean they're a government op, um, So population estimates by ethnic groups and uh, religion in England. So this is a government website, ons.gov.uk. Uh, main points 2019, uh, 2011-1.5. Half the population, most religion, younger people, more women than men in the UK. Yeah, that's quite nice to uh, know. Right, so this is basically just a big breakdown of what population of who makes up the UK. And that's not what we want. So we want an overall figure. Uh, diversity in the UK. So this is diversityuk.org. According to the 2011 census, the population of England and Wales... In 2018, about 13.8% of the UK population was from a minority ethnic background, with London having 40% of its population from black, Asian and ethnic minority and uh, ethnic background, BAME is what they call it. So for all of the UK, 13.8% of people are from an ethnic minority background. So if we compare that to the percentage of people working at Buckingham Palace, that's under... The target was 10%. So if they were going to do true representational proportion, it needs to be 14%. Let's round it up from ethnic minority backgrounds. At Kensington House, it's 13.6%. So that's about spot on with the national average. Um, at Clarence House, it's 10.6%. So she ain't doing that bad when you compare it to how many people in the UK are from ethnic minority backgrounds. It's it's always a funny thing for me that says that because it sounds really, really bad when you read it. But then when you read the percentage of people in the UK who are from ethnic minority backgrounds, it takes a bit of the shine off of that, isn't it? Obviously, there's still more that needs to be done because they're, they aren't treated equally, but that's a completely different argument. So anyway, moving on. How much does it cost? Uh, 16.63.9 million spending on property maintenance up from 14.4 million or up 29% from the uh, 49.5 million in 2020 to 2021. 201 official engagements carried out, almost 2,300 official engagement by royals, by all other royals. Uh, cost of housekeeping, yeah, yada, yada, yada. It's, uh, it's breaking everything down a hell of a lot. So basically, the overall cost 
So let's have a see what the Sovereign Grant is, because I'm imagining that the Sovereign Grant is going to be how much we give to the Royals to have the Royals. What is the Sovereign Grant? So here's from gov.uk, Sovereign Grant Act. The Sovereign Grant. The Sovereign Grant Act came into effect in the turn. Supporting. The Sovereign Grant uh, for 2022 to 2023 is 86.3 million, which is what they've just said there. The same as in 2021-22, while net revenue surplus for the Crown Estate fell due to the impact of COVID. Sovereign Grant Act in 2011 accused of... Doesn't tell us what it is, though. Accountability, Sovereign Grant. Go back, let's see. How much is the Sovereign Grant? So, Sovereign Grant needs a reality check, Taxpayers Alliance. Uh, Royal Finances. Who is on the Sovereign Grant list? Ooh, that's uh, who, who can get uh, Dosh from it. Uh, okay, so here, where's this come up from? So this has come up from Wikipedia. The Sovereign Grant, the payment which is paid annually to the monarchy by the government in order to fund the monarchy's official duties. So basically, it's keeping them alive on what to do. There's a nice little picture there. Let's see if we can get that up. Right, there we go. How the Crown Estate works. And it's got... Uh, Owns, with an arrow going to, makes profit, is paid to the treasury, calculates 15 to 25%, which is then the sovereign grant. And then, and then the 15 to 25% it gives the sovereign grant, which is then paid to the queen. The assets of the crown estate are not the sovereign's private estate. They are part of the hereditary possessions of the sovereign in the right of the crown. Okay. So I think what we need to do then is, so it cost us, it cost 86.3 million uh, this year to have the uh, royal family. So let's add another question into this little list that I'm just looking at on the other screen of how much do the royal family make? the royals make for the UK because that was like I was saying before there's articles come up that saying William and his missus have just made 1.3 billion in a day and I don't know how or where from how much the royals bring into the UK economy. That sounds like a good one, doesn't it? So, Brand Finance, that's quite an interesting website. The Express. So, the Express was on our list of quite uh, reliable sources, I'm pretty sure. Right on there.
Alright, let's stagger in some of my money. So how much does the royal family bring in? According to Forbes magazine, the House of Windsor is estimated to be worth 19 billion or 28 billion dollars and pumps hundreds of millions of pounds into the British economy each year. According to financial experts, it is the 1,000 year old firm's public perception and influence that makes it so valuable. Chief Executive Brands Officer, Brand Finance, Chief, uh, Chief Executive of Brand Finance, David Haig, told Forbes it's very formalised influencer business. Unlikely celebrity family, such as the Kardashians, the Windsors don't make personal profit from the business itself. However, they contribute an estimated 1.9 billion, 2.7 billion annually to Britain's economic, to, to Britain's economy pre-pandemic. So this is like 2019. It was an estimated 1.9 billion pounds. However, their value is also linked to things like free media coverage for Britain was an estimated their value is also linked to things like free media coverage for britain okay so the media following them about when they're on holiday and shit like that from uh, different countries uh which was an estimated 283 million in 2017. mr haig explained there are also many valuable royal warrants granted by the queen these are essentially a stamp of approval for high-end consumer products like barber jackets or Johnny Walker whiskey. So they have the Queen's stamp of approval or the royal family's stamp of approval that means that they can sell it basically in her name, that looks like. So it's like, shit, I really like this. Everybody should go and buy it. So that's going to boost the brand's... Um, esteem no end doesn't it and give them a hell of a lot of profit there the expert estimates oh, oh see the expert estimates the royal warrant can boost a holder's revenue by as much as 10 percent. jesus christ that's a big deal a 10 percent bump just for having a stamp uh, companies and institutions are a bit how much does the royal family cost the uk taxpayer there we go the last sovereign grant account shows that the monarchy cost the uk a few millions in 2020? Yeah, well, we've just seen it was like 83. That's not a few, is it? Complicated system of funding the monarchy. Works when the UK government makes a payment called a sovereign grant to the royal household every single year. The sovereign, sovereign's grant's value is determined by how much money the Crown estate real estate portfolio has brought in. Okay, so this is the picture that we saw a minute ago. How the Crown Estate works. The Crown Estate makes money. So I'm assuming this is money that's made by people visiting the Royal Estate, visiting places that are owned by the Crown. Uh, that makes profit, and then they get 15 to 25% of it, as we were saying before. Assets of the Crown Estate. Yeah, we, yeah, we know that. In the right of the Crown. In 
Yeah, so then it's just repeated what we've just been. So let's have a look what the Crown Estate is. So, uh, yeah, what is the Crown Estate? The Crown Estate is, so where are we here? I think this might have just come. Property Management Company. So this might be like, oh, there we go, not from Wikipedia, dumbass. Nowhere to look. Uh, the Crown Estate is a collection of lands and holdings in the United Kingdom belonging to the British monarch as a corporation sole, making it the sovereign's public estate, which is neither government property nor part of the monarch's private estate. So it's basically land and businesses that um, are owned by the crown, by the British monarchy, that make money, I'm assuming, by people visiting. Let's have a look at this Wikipedia article, see what else it comes up with for us. The sovereign is not involved with the management or administration of these estates and has very limited control of its affairs. So all they do is own it. They don't actually do anything with it. So even if the monarchy was dissolved, this would still exist. Um, okay, so the estate is overall seen by semi-independent, who exercise powers of ownership. The revenues from these hereditary possessions have been placed by the monarch at the disposition of Her Majesty's government in exchange for relief. Right, cool. The Crown Estate is one of the largest property managers in the United Kingdom, administering property worth 14.1 billion, with urban properties valued at 9.1 billion. So basically, this is where it comes from to pay for the monarchy and they're saying that revenue from the royal estate uh, goes straight into the coffers of the government and the government takes a percentage of that and gives it back to the royals for them to perform their royal duties which includes visits um, in the name of business and name of the country trying to drum up support for us um and anything else. So it, 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 it more than pays for itself. By a long ass way as well. It's like, it's only 15 to 25% of that revenue that goes back into there and we get to keep the rest. It goes back into the treasury. So it is making a hell of a lot of money and they are only taking a tiny percentage to keep going. So it's not as if it's costing us anything. And to say that it comes out of the taxpayer's po pocket to pay for the royals is wrong, isn't it? Because they put in a hell of a lot of times more money from the, the property that they own than they take out. So then they, they basically pay from themselves with the way that it works. 
And you can guarantee, so like me saying, even if the royals didn't exist, this crown estate would still exist. You could guarantee if it wasn't for the royal family still existing, private companies would just sweep in, break it up and sell it off for as much profit as they could get. So it would stop putting money into the pool. It would be... If it, was, if it wasn't for the royal family, then that would all be privately owned. And all that money that I'm assuming comes from visitors and that kind of thing, all that money would be going straight into corporate profits. <laughs> so, that's a good thing. I'm going to say that. I didn't know how that worked. Um, that's quite nice to know. And they're putting a hell of a lot in to the treasury than they are taking out. That's a hell of a lot more. So what, what were they saying? It was something like 1.9 billion that they were putting in, but yeah. So it basically pays for itself by a hell of a long way. Um, just before I go into the colonialism thing, I'm gonna put in William and Kate make one point. Three billion in a day because I really want to know what happened with this ship. Did you mean, yeah? No, you see, there you go. First one, Lad Bible. Oh, love a Lad Bible, but no, we're not going there. News.com slash AU. So that's an American website, but it looks pretty uh, spot on. It's a flipboard, uh, the mirror. I see, it's all just. Spammy, spammy, spam, spams at the minute. So what was that one there? News.com.au. So we found out that the AU uh, moniker was quite a reliable one. If this does uh, load up. Watch my internet die now. William and Kate make $2 billion. So about £1.3 million. Actually, it's probably a hell of a lot more than that. Um... In a single day after Queen Elizabeth's death, age 96. So this is news.com.au. I think AU is just going to be, in this case... Yeah, this is just like a... Ah, damn it. So, so yeah, this is just a news website. Like a, um, I think .au is obviously an Australian, like .co.uk. That's just their uh, domain names at the end of it. But still, let's have a look at this. Take it with a pinch of salt because we can't find any really massively reliable sources on this. Uh, on Wednesday, the biggest royal story, William and Kate da -da -da, taking their children. So, yeah, basically William of Kate and now uh, Prince and Princess of Wales. Is she Princess of Wales? I know it is Prince. So let's get down to the good stuff. Here we go. Getting them to call themselves Cornwall. Uh, it comes with an eye-watering... Ah, there we go. So they haven't actually made that. It's just the price of the estate that they've got, which is what we've just gone through. It's part of the royal estate, so it's not actually theirs, is it? So, just sensational news media again. At the beginning of the week, the couple, couple was uh, hardly on Struggle Street, surviving on 3.8 million they received annually from Charles, which came from the uh, duchy income. 
So this, again, is all paid for out of the uh, sovereign grant that we've just been reading about. And they didn't actually get $1.3 billion in a day uh, or $2 billion in a day, as everyone is claiming. What they got is an estate, which was part of the royal estate, which, again, we've just been learning about, which isn't theirs, which is the monarchy. But the royal estate that they can now claim as residence is worth $2 billion. So they've not actually made that. And they're still going to be receiving $3.8 million annually to conduct their affairs on behalf of the nation. So, yes, bullshit, which is always quite nice to find out. Okay, okay, so that's answered another question for us. So, last one. Uh, was the... Was Queen Elizabeth... Let's be specific, because that's who they're shouting at. Involved in colonialism. NPR. That's a, a news network, isn't it? Was Queen Elizabeth associated with colonial or decolonized Britain? So there are a lot of people who are mad about this. There was one, uh, I think she was an American university teacher who went onto Twitter and wished her an agonising death, which is a really shitty thing to do, but was it deserved? So these are all just big uh, news networks which are coming up for this. Observer Finance, uh, PBS News. Did Queen Elizabeth colonise anywhere? USA Today. So let's go on NPR.org. Uh, trying to get money out of us already. So this is um, Elizabeth was associated with colonial and decolonized Britain. Memory of Elizabeth, complicated by the fact that during her rule, more than 20 countries gained independence. And then it's just quoted someone there. Moses Okonu, a professor of African studies at Vambarit University, told NPR the Queen's death brought attention to unfinished colonial business. In her dual status as the face of colonialism, oh, but also the symbol of decolonialization. Decolonization, if you actually read the word. Um, that defines how she is perceived in many former British African colonies. O'Connor's own feelings towards the Queen's death are mixed, in part because of his childhood. He was born in Nigeria a little over a decade after the country saw an end to colonial rule. He recalled how the Queen continued to be fondly associated with prestige and grandeur. Elizabeth was a symbol of Britain's denial of colonial crimes. See, now that's not fair, is it? She didn't do the crimes, did she? Monarch? 
Chief cannot be disentangled from colonial uh, from. She cannot be disentangled from a colonization of South Asia. Mo Banerjee, a professor of South Asian history at the University of Wisconsin, told NPR. Banerjee's from India, which was granted independence from Britain in 1947, although Elizabeth was crowned five years later. Banerjee said many Indians hoped the Queen would express remorse for the damage of colonialism. That she had nothing to do with. I get that they want an apology from the Crown, but she wasn't there. Um, that was the case in 1997. During what would be the Queen's last visit to India, Elizabeth told Indians, history cannot be re rewritten in reference to the 1919 massacre where hundreds of Indians were shot and killed by British troops. Yeah, I've seen that. That's no good. During colonial times, India was forced to hand over 105 carat Kohinar diamond to Britain. Many are also calling for the, recur for the return of the Kulanan diamond back to South Africa. The jewels represent a history of coercion, subjugation, loot, loss and grief, Banerjee said. Similarly, the Queen's death has reminded many people of a lack of reparations to former colonies. Reparations is an interesting one, isn't it? But it's, it's many people. <laughs> there we go again in this same article. Many people are wondering why the British monarchy still exists. For some, the Queen's death had reunited a conversation of purpose, of the place and purpose of uh, the monarchy today. Banerjee has been sceptical of the crown from a young age, when she would hear her grandparents talk about anecdotes. Hmm. They say the sun never sets on the British Empire. I think it has set with the death of Queen Elizabeth, Banerjee said. It's now time to come to terms with the history of enslavement and the history of colonisation. Well, yeah, that's true, but it doesn't say why you're mad at the Queen, because what did she actually do? Not everyone mourns the Queen. So basically, because... People are mad that she was head of an institution that's colonised in the past. She didn't actually do anything. Um, seemingly, we haven't taken over any countries in the past few hundred years. We've basically been giving them back. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II's ties to colonialism makes grief complicated. It's USA Today. Amsterdam News, lemonade.ifr.theconversation.com. Uh, Did Queen Elizabeth colonise anywhere? Queen Elizabeth's stance on colonialism. See now, Smithsonian Magazine there has put Queen Elizabeth II was an enduring emblem of the waning British Empire. 
Well, yeah, that's a good thing, isn't it? So why are people mad that the British Empire is going away? I thought that's what they wanted. This is from Nora McGreevy. Elizabeth uh, succeeded her father, George VI, upon his death in 1952, when she was just 25 years old. Over a 70-year reign, the longest of any British monarch and any female monarch in history, she worked with 15 prime ministers, 16 counting Liz Truss, uh, met 13 of the past 14 American presidents, oversaw thousands of engagements and made 89 state visits. So this is basically just a big thesis. Hmm? Uh, about the Queen's reign. Jesus, it's one of three. Holy crap. So basically, when it comes to the colonialism question, it looks like people are mad that she didn't do enough to put right what was wrong in the past. Which is fair enough, because it's not that long ago, is it? Here we go. So here's another one from this. Looks like the opposing view. So this is um, spectatorworld.com. The Knights of Accept, um from uh, the 9th of September this year, the ignorance of Queen Elizabeth's anti-colonialist critics. In fact, a figure of such stability was essential for decolonization. Oh man, it's a fucking paywall. Bastards. Queen Elizabeth is not a tragedy. Not a life so well lived. So people are mad that she didn't do uh, enough to apologise for colonialism. Which you can't be mad at people for shouting at her because of that. Um. Hmm. What else? I did see somebody who was mad about her for her ties to Israel. Uh, which again is... Did the Queen have ties to Israel? So that first one, Middle East and I, why did the British monarchy with the Jewish community? It's not about being Jewish, is it? It's about being Israeli. Israeli leaders. Why did the British help Israel? History.state.gov Great Britain wanted to preserve good relations with the Arabs to protect a vital... When is this from? Oh, there we go. So this is really, really old. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth and the Jews. See, this is going to get into some anti-semitic stuff that I don't want anything to do with but it's always dodgy when you're talking about Israel in relation to um, what they're doing to Palestine and that kind of thing 
Queen Elizabeth, why the monarch has never been to this one country, but Prince William has. This is the Express writing this. Uh, from June the 27th, 2019. The Queen, 93, at the time, has travelled to many countries overseas. She's Britain's best travelled monarch. However, there's one country she's never been to in a long reign, but Prince William has. Queen Elizabeth never visited Israel in the Middle East. This is due to the conflict between Israel and Palestine, Palestinian Authority, which has caused unsettlement. The British government has often dictate the countries visited by the royal family. Uh, members of the region may have been deemed politically unwise in the past. Prince Charles has visited Israel, but not on an official visit on behalf of the royal family. He attended the funeral of um, a former prime minister in 1995, but not as an official guest. However, while his grandmother has never made a trip to Israel, Prince William has. The Duke of Cambridge, unlike his father, made a trip on behalf of the royal family. In June 2018, he undertook a Middle East royal tour visiting Jordan, Israel and the Palestinian ter territories. So everybody's mad at her ties with Israel, but it seems like she didn't go there for the reasons that they're mad at them about. And Prince William did, but he also visited Palestine to try and remain neutral, which depending on your views of things, is a good or a good thing. Uh, we shall never know. So, yeah, that last question is like, quite a difficult one. You can understand why people are really, really upset with the royal family after what their ancestors will have been through due to colonialism, but Queen Elizabeth herself obviously didn't colonise anywhere or take over anything. So let's do a couple of last questions to uh, finish off while we're going to be here all year. Right, there we go. So, uh, what did I want to have a look at? So, um, what are the countries in the Commonwealth? Commonwealth nations. So there is a hell of a lot of them. And it said that um, some of these countries were 56 member states from Wikipedia there. It's a political association. So there we go, from royal.co.uk. So let's have a look at this, because I wanted to know what the difference was between a realm and um, and uh, another Commonwealth states. Oh, A Commonwealth realm is a country which has the Queen as a monarch. There are 14 Commonwealth realms in addition to the UK. So it looks like this isn't by choice. these um, Commonwealth realms don't get to choose whether they're part of the Commonwealth or not, and the other Commonwealth states do. Uh, 
So there's a, there's a big list going on top. Uh, if you Google it, there's a big list of the, the countries in the Commonwealth. So let's do what's the difference between a Commonwealth realm and a state. Here are Ian. Hmm. Right, what's the difference between Commonwealth realm and a state? My dyslexia was flaring up there for those of you watching on the video. Do 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 Commonwealth realm. So this is Wikipedia yet again. Um a Commonwealth realm is a sovereign state in which in the Commonwealth of Nations, whose monarch and head of state is shared among the other realms. Each realm functions as an independent state, equal with the other realms and nations of the Commonwealth. Current monarch of each Commonwealth realm is King Charles III, who succeeded Queen Elizabeth II. Elizabeth monarch and head of state in Munich. Uh, gives you a nice list there. New realms have been added through independent former colonies. So there's a nice list of the uh, Commonwealth realms. But it doesn't really give us a difference between what that and a state is. So again, this is Kiwara. Uh, which has uh, been coming up quite a lot on today's. So, uh, most nations of the Commonwealth are republics. These are Commonwealth nations. Queen Elizabeth II is, however, head of the Commonwealth, i.e. of all members. Ah, okay, so she is also simultaneously monarch of 16 of these members. These are called the Commonwealth realms. Yeah, it's basically it seems to be that the, the realms have the queen as their monarch, but members of the Commonwealth, um, she doesn't really have much power there. She is just um, a member of the Commonwealth. Uh, she is just head of the Commonwealth and they are members of that. Very confusing, very ridiculous. Um, yeah, so I think that's about it. So, very interesting one. Still quite hit or miss, isn't it? So basically what happens with the monarchy is that it pays for itself. Um, they don't have any real power to do anything, but they do bring in a hell of a lot of money, which goes straight into the taxpayers' coffers. Um, they also do a hell of a lot of charity work, don't they? Each of them do independent charities. Um, Hmm. Yeah, so I'm still like a little bit all over the place. They they don't seem to have any real power or any real massive purpose other than um 
to be like a figurehead and something for us to aspire to. Uh, keeping our morality in line. It's quite an interesting one. Um, <clears throat> they do bring in a hell of a lot of money, so I think that is a good thing, but also that pays for them. So it's not coming out of the taxpayers' money because they earn more and give in to the tax pot than they actually take out per year. Um, when it comes to colonialism and things like that, there is only really one way that they can go with it. Nobody's going to be colonising anybody anytime soon. Um, all they can do is apologise and apologise again, which I think is something that they're, they're, it looks like she did. Maybe not as much as she could have done, but people are mad at her, at her about that. Um, basically, she became the face of atrocities that Britain have done in the past. And a lot of people don't think that she did enough to make up for them, which is why a lot of people are mad at her. And you can't really blame them because it's going to be like their grandparents or great-grandparents that were suffering uh, under those particular regimes because it isn't like really ancient history that we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, basically, yeah, let's see what you think. Like, for me... It's kind of like their only duties right now seem to be to make money for the UK. And I, <laughs> how can that be a bad thing? I, I, I'm not mad at them anymore. I, I kind of was. Honestly, going into this, I was like, what's the point in there being a monarch or anything along those lines? And now you see that while they don't have any actual power to affect real change on our behalf or on their own behalf or for their own gains, yeah, it seems like they make a hell of a lot of money and do a lot for the country. And they definitely do a lot for charity. Um, there's the Prince's Trust, which I think is probably going to pass down to William now. Nothing's really been said about that that uh, Charles has been doing for years. And yeah, I don't think there's anything more to be said. You can still make up your own mind. A lot of quite interesting things have come up there that I really didn't know. Uh, and that's it for now. So yeah. Thanks for joining us. I prattled on for a, a bit longer than I thought. I can barely hear my own voice. Um, yeah, so like, subscribe, share, give us a quick follow, uh, and let us know what you think, because obviously this is just me babbling about what I can find on the internet. If you've got any extra opinions, or even better, any extra li links or anything like that you can send to us so we can do a bit more reading and maybe do a follow-up to mop some stuff up that might not have been as clear as you guys wanted to, then yeah, definitely send us some links and stuff. But until then, thanks very much. Um, I've been Jay. I'll see you next time. Hello. So it's been a uh, few days since I recorded the um, royal show um, about the British monarchy. Um, and I don't, I, having watched it back, I don't think I really did enough of a conclusion. And considering that's pretty much the entire point of why I'm doing the show, um, yeah, I felt like I'd failed a little bit on the first one. So I thought I'd uh, jump back on and just tag this on to the end. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good one for me. Really, really um, brought up a lot of stuff that I definitely didn't know. And at the end of the day, it kind of completely changed my mind. So I um, didn't really see the point in the monarchy whatsoever or what they did or like why they were even there um and by the end of it after if you've watched the entire show you'll know what i'm talking about um everything i found out and looked at it changed my mind and for me um i think keeping the royal family the way that it is with some changes obviously um is the best option for the way it is that's because 
Um, we saw how much money that they bring in with property that belongs to the crown. It doesn't actually belong to the royals. And as I said in the actual show, we know for a fact that if it didn't belong to the crown, it'd go into the hands of the government, who would immediately sell it off and privatise it. So we'd lose a good couple of billion in public revenue um, every single year. And that is what pays for the royals to actually do their royal stuff. So they're basically bringing in their own money. They take a small percentage, but give them the most into the into the pot um whether you think that's spent right or anything along those lines on public services is another thing but uh yeah there you go um there are definitely some changes that need to be made i mean like they've protected a sex offender who broke the the laws uh of a different country that why would you even do that that's definitely a negative so that's something that definitely needs to change i think that goes without saying um and then you get onto the subject of colonialism and all of that kind of thing. And people have some very, very justified um, complaints about that. If you're going to do an inheritance-based monarchy, the way that the British one is is run, you can't just inherit the good stuff, okay? And there's no denying that the British crown was the figurehead and was the face of colonialism for years and years and years in the past. It might not be now. The Queen actually did quite a lot to decolonise a lot of stuff, giving places back and, in some cases, apologising. But it's still not enough. I think that that is also an argument to keep the monarchy. Because if you just abolish it, then all of that disappears instead of getting made up for... I don't know how they'd make up for it, whether it be reparations or whether it be giving stuff back or whether it would indeed just be an apology. But... If you get rid of the monarchy, then you take away that chance to make up for it as well. So again, that's again that's another big argument for me for keeping them. So yeah, on the whole, uh, that's what I came to the conclusion of. Um, you've seen how I came to that conclusion all the way through, which is exactly the point of the show. Um, and if you're still with us, thanks for uh, watching. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll see you at the next one. Really enjoyed doing this first one. So even if no one's listening, I'm going to keep cracking on. Thanks very much.